Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I just love coming to be with you. Uh, it's re really special. So thank you for that. And as, uh, as it's been said, we're going to look at blind Bartimaeus this morning. Um, but we're going to look at it from uh, Luke's version, if that's all right. So Luke records uh, his, uh, the story of blind Bartimaeus as well. So if we're going to have a reread at that, it's from Luke 18, 35 to 43. Luke 18, 35 to 43, if you want to follow it. And he came near to Jericho, and it occurred that a blind man was sitting by the roadside beg begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he asked what it meant. And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he shouted, saying, Jesus, son of David, take pity and have mercy on me. But those who were in front reproved him, telling him to keep quiet. And yet he screamed and shrieked so much the more, son of David, take pity and have mercy on me. Then Jesus stood still and ordered that he be led to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith, your trust and confidence that spring from your faith in God has healed you. And instantly he received his sight and began to follow Jesus, recognizing, praising and honoring God and all the people. And when they saw it, all of them praised God. So thank you, Lord. Uh, I borrowed the title for today's talk um, from a man called Alexander McLean, uh, uh, McLaren actually, and it from, he was a preacher in Manchester around about the, the mid-1800s, and he talked about the man who stopped Jesus. I love that. But it was actually Aunt Lily, Lily's Aunt Lily, who I was talking to back at the end of November, beginning of December, and it was her that inspired me, uh, really maybe the Lord through Aunt Lily, to come back and to look at this passage again in a wee bit more detail. You know, sometimes you just feel the Lord saying, um, come on, come a wee bit deeper, take a wee bit more time with this. So I'll tell you a wee bit more about that later on. But um, do I have a wee clicker or anything? No? No? Do I just go? All right. Okay. <laughs> So where we're going this morning is um, we're going to look at what was it that stopped Jesus that day? What did Bartimaeus do? Uh, what happened? What was the outcome of it? And then if we're going to have similar encounters like that, that's what we want. Then what can we learn about him? Uh, can we learn to be like Bartimaeus? And how do we do that? How do we see things like he saw things? And then we want to look at how do we receive God's big vision and make it our reality. So the man who stopped Jesus then. First, next slide, thanks. This is a wee map of uh, where Jericho and where Jerusalem is. Oh, sorry. No, okay, then. It's not there. Let's go back one. <laughs> okay, I had uh, wanted to put a wee map of Jer where Jericho and Jerusalem was because at this point in Jesus' life, this was his last journey up to Jerusalem. This falls during the last week of Jesus' life. And there was only one more week when he was going to spend on this earth. 
And so the Bible tells us at this point he had set his face like a flint to go towards Jerusalem. And he knew why he was going there. And he knew what he was going to do when he got there. And he had told his, his disciples earlier in that same chapter, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem and all of the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. And they will flog him with a whip and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And so Jesus knew what was ahead of him, but he was determined and set and focused and committed to fulfill what the Father's will was for him. And so all of his life was pointing towards this momentous occasion. And then we read those words, Jesus stood still. You know, if you look at the man Jesus there, what a burden of responsibility was weighing upon his shoulders. Uh, what a, a momentous occasion. What a task that was up ahead of him. But what a picture of such a beautiful saviour. When the cry of one wee insignificant little blind man was able to stop Jesus in his tracks and take some time with that wee man that day. I've really got to love Bartimaeus as I've spent some time with him, but I've also got to love just how gracious and compassionate Jesus is when we look at him in, uh, in, in this encounter. And so if, I just want to encourage you today very simply, just at this very, this very simple point, that Jesus stood still right in front of someone whose heart was crying out, Towards him, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't um, insignificant to Jesus what he was going through, and may we operate in that same spirit of the Christ who stopped to minister in the midst of our responsibilities and our pressures to complete our tasks. So let's go right to the end of the passage we read and look at what happened when Jesus stopped. The outcome was that Jesus asked Bartimaeus an amazing question. Verse 41 said, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And you've already got it up there. I love this commentary that uh, Alexander McLaren wrote about this wee verse. Can you imagine Jesus in response to your prayers saying, I will do whatever you want me to do. Would you have an answer? Would you have an answer right there? Well, this is what Alexander McLaren says. He said, Jesus put the keys of the royal treasure house into the hands of faith and says, go in and help yourself. Take what you will. <gasps> How do we get to that point in our own personal lives with Jesus for the stuff that we are crying out for us and for our friends, and for our community. How do we get to that point? Because you see, it wasn't only just Bartimaeus that was touched that day. Did you notice in verse 43, it says, all who saw it praised God too. All who saw it that day. Something was happening corporately 
around about them, in the community, all had a new sense of God's presence, his awe, and his glory invaded that little group of of people in community that day. But what exactly was it that stopped Jesus that day? What exactly was it? What was significant enough for him that he couldn't ignore it and that he wanted to turn aside from that amazing vision and task that he had up ahead of him? Just to stop and to give a man and a community a transformation, a transforming encounter with himself. And then I started asking myself a question, can it happen again? Can we replicate this? Can we learn something from this that we need to know from blind Bartimaeus that we can do, that we can put into practice? And will the same thing happen here? This is what I've been asking myself since I've spoken with Aunt Lily Reese, And before that even, it's what's been rumbling around in my heart. Because we need him to stop right here. <laughs> right in front of me, I need Jesus to stop. And in our community, we need him to stop and tarry and linger and bring his full-on attention and presence into our midst. So let's look a bit more in detail about Bartimaeus' encounter and what we can learn from him. I I love what the Amplified um, Version says in this passage. It says, first he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then when he was told to be quiet, (laughs) what did he do? He escalated it up even more and he shouted, Even more, he screamed and he shrieked, it said. (laughs) Really get the sense, don't you, of of what was going on that day. He screamed at the top of his lungs and he shrieked, Jesus, have mercy on me. This wasn't a polite or a managed or a restrained request. This was a violent cry from the depths of this man's being. And I believe that's the sort of cry that gets Jesus' attention. Okay, the next one. See, Bartimaeus had a really clear vision of the reality of his life. I believe he knew very clearly he was helpless and he was hopeless and he was desperate. All those hopes of cures had come to nothing. But something different happened that day. And that was Jesus was passing through his time. And so mixed with all of that hopeless, helpless desperation, there was something different. There was the opportunity was presented to him. And we know from what he shouted out that he must have known about Jesus. He must have known He had maybe heard, he had maybe heard about the stories and the miracles because he used a phrase, son of David, which was a messianic term. So he must have known about Jesus' ability, uh, that he wasn't just a man. And here was this man who could do miracles. It was coming through his time. He believed Jesus was who he said he was. And so even though Bartimaeus was physically blind, 
I think he was a man who had a very clear interior sight, whatever way you want to call that, whether it's an understanding or a perception or a discernment. He had a very clear and accurate interior sight of what was real for him, his reality. He was in touch with reality. And the reality also of who Jesus was. He was very clear about that. And he was the one man in the crowd that day. He was able to see things as they really were. Yes, helpless, hopeless, desperate. But also here was an opportunity for transformation, for change. And I believe that's why he made such a noise that he was not going to let Jesus pass him by. He was not going to let this opportunity go past him that day because he knew his desperate state. You see, a cry of desperate hunger catches God's ear. And we see echoes of this uh, in other parts of, of the word as well. In the Old Testament, a very famous passage of, where God calls Moses. And God says something just quite incredible. He said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and their oppressors. For I know their sorrows and their sufferings and their trials. And I have come down. I have stopped. I have drawn near to deliver them out of the hand and the power of the Egyptians and to bring them into a land of milk and honey. You see, God, in response to the cry, did something. He implemented a plan, not just individually for Moses, but corporately for the whole people of Israel. He says, so I have come down. Oh, does that not just make it, Lord, that you would come down. Now, we know Jesus has come down. We know God is here. But there's something we're talking about here, that Jesus would stop in such a way that his whole glory and his whole godly presence would fill our realities. There's something different about this encounter. And this is what we're all about, isn't it? That somehow we will learn to cry out like blind Bartimaeus, that he would hear us, he would hear our cry, that he would stop, he would come down, and he would be present in our experience here today. And that we would get this transformation that Bartimaeus got individually, because I need it, and corporately in our community, wherever your community is, wherever you relate to that, whether it's your work community, your home, your church, your uh, town, your village, your neighbors, your street, wherever that is. So how do we learn to do this? And I think the key for us is that we also need to see things the way they really are. We really need God to help us with this. Because we may physically see, even though I, I need glasses and I'm really struggling with the Bible because I've forgotten my glasses are over there. But even though we may physically see really well, sometimes our spiritual sight is really poor. Uh, we've become blinded by false securities and deceptive wealth. And that distorts our realities. 
And the Bible's really clear about lots of imagery that it uses to warn us about leaning on things that are never going to give us what we need. It talks about broken, uh, cracked walls that, are, that will fall. It talks about cracked cisterns in Jeremiah. The Bible talks about weeds that choke, and it talks about mirages, uh, very powerful images. And yes, there is a time to be at ease and a time to be at peace, but there's also a time for raising the roof with a cry for mercy. Oh, thank you so much. He's still attending to my knees. <laughs> still attending to me. Thank you. Um, so what time is it now? What time is it for us here and in Balna Hinch? What time is it? Well, I want to suggest two ways in which God helps us to get this new level of discernment and interior sight um, and to see things the way they really are for us. How do we see like Bartimaeus sees? Number one is, I believe he uses the principle of darkness. And have you ever been in pitch darkness? Have you ever been, just think about that, a time when you were in complete darkness, darkness you can nearly feel, um, where it doesn't matter how long you're there, your eyes cannot distinguish anything. Anybody been in, time, in a time like that? I was trying to think up a really interesting story and I couldn't. What happened? <laughs> Got to wake up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Did you like it or not? Yeah, yeah. Okay, a time when you've been in the darkness and Johnny could tell you how your eyes work in a time like that and how they, they work differently. But it seems to me that when you're in that situation, you, your other senses compensate for the loss of the, the, the sense of sight. And somehow they, they become more sensitized. Your hearing definitely improves. You're very much more attuned with your ears. But also, I'm not trying to be spooky or anything, but do you know a way you can actually sense something really close? If you move up to something, you can get a sense that it's there, but it's, you can't even see it. That's awesome to me. I love that. And, and like Bartimaeus in his blindness, I, I think the Bible often talks about people who have to go through a period of darkness. And God uses darkness why well let's look at isaiah 45 verse 3 he says i will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches in secret places that you may know that it is i the lord the god of israel who calls you by your name see i believe there's something in the darkness that god wants us to learn about himself that we can't find out in the light when we're able to see with our senses. Sometimes when our ways are obscured and there's maybe emotions and pain that would block out the reality of God, there's something about that in that moment that God is seeking to get our other senses attuned into who he is. And God values this gift of darkness so greatly that he calls it a treasure. We'll find treasure We'll find riches because we'll find him.
in the middle of that place. And we can learn about his character in ways in the darkness that we'll never know in the light. And globally, we have entered a period of darkness that I think is unprecedented, a period of destruction and the powers of darkness released. But God promises there will be treasures for us who are his people and who believe in his name. Number two, the second way I think that we can have our sight adjusted to see things the way they really are is through the principle of the speck and the log. And looking back over many years, I think, uh, I see that God has brought people with splinters into my life. That is some wee small fault or offense or sin in them. God brings them into our lives and to confess, most of the time I have not got this principle. I've not got it. I've not allowed the Lord to do what I believe he primarily wants to do when that happens. And that is, he wants to get me to allow him to take the log out of my eye. Okay. So when a splinter comes into view, I get much more excited and exercised about it. I fixate on the wrong piece of wood. And I think there's a couple of lessons I just want to share with you out of that. I believe Jesus talks about different sizes in these pieces of wood for a reason. The splinter and the log. Number one is that he wants us to be concerned in proportion to their size. He wants us to spend the the amount of time and effort and concern in proportion to the size of each piece of wood. So therefore, a log needs a lot more attention than a splinter. Oh, I, I have got that wrong so often. And you know what? I've missed my opportunity for the Lord to clear my eyesight. But I also believe, number two, is Jesus gave them the same substance. They're both made out of wood. That's so simple, isn't it? They're both made out of wood. If I took a wee bit of a toothpick, okay, there it is. And if I put that over there uh, in Josh's eye, okay, just not going to do it. You know, he's on hand, would be all right. But if I just put that up against Josh's eye, eye there, to me that would look like a speck from here, especially when I'm not wearing my glasses, wouldn't it? Okay, but what if I do that to my eye? That looks like a great big log. But it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, that's a hard lesson to learn. I read this a while back. I love this wee book, and I get it out every now and again. Has anybody read it? The Calvary Road. Real old classic. He's showing my brother in roots now. Um, but he said, sin is almost the only thing that we have in common with everyone else. And so at the feet of Jesus, where sin is cleansed, is the only place where we can be one. Real oneness is two or more sinners at the foot of the cross. Now, to be true to freedom in Christ... We are not sinners by identity. Okay, you all know this. I know you know this, okay? We are not sinners by identity, but we sin. 
We are sinners by function, okay? So at the foot of the cross where two or more sinners meet there, there is real unity and real oneness. So will I humbly see the logs in my own eye and allow the Lord to deal with it so I can see clearly the way that God says things are according to his word? Because you know what? When our vision gets opened and when we start to see things as God says they are, do you know what happens? We can only cry out for mercy. That is the only thing we can do. Because we see God and who he is. And we see his plans and his purposes for our lives and for our community and our world. And we see how far short we fall. And what a great gap there is between those. And all we can do is we cry for mercy. Mercy, Lord. Does anybody know what this word means? This will show the, the well-read and the, the literates among us. All right, obviously there's nobody. <laughs> Anybody? Go on. Oh, Vanessa, where are you? See, Vanessa's not here. If she was here, she would know. Anybody? No. Okay. That basically just is another word for mercy, for compassion. It's from the old French, and it's called misericorde. Okay? Uh, next we picture that's also a misery cord now do you see that wee shelf that wee flat tiny jutty out shelf that's on the underside of a choir seat okay so where choristers would sit uh, but when not in use it's flipped up okay you all with me <laughs> so these wee misery cords were designed for choristers and clergy in medieval times, and it provided relief. So when they were standing to minister, and they just felt they couldn't stand any longer, they could just prompt their posteriors on that little shelf, and it gave the semblance of that they were still standing, but they could sort of take a bit of the weight off their legs. And I just thought, that gives us an amazing picture of what God's mercy is. What is God's mercy? It's when we have reached the point where we can't stand any longer. We can't stand for something any longer. What is it in my life that I can't stand to see any longer? What is it in our community, whether it's local or global, that we can't stand? That's what drives people like Johnny and people like you guys who will cook meals, what is it that we can't stand to see any longer in our midst? I believe we must reach this point, you know, before we will really be able to cry out with the same cry that Bartimaeus had, have mercy. Have you cried out like that to God? What happened? Well, you know, Bartimaeus didn't get it his own way. He, his hunger when he put it out there on display it was shot down there was condemnation and misunderstanding and rejection and maybe that has happened to you so what do we do with that then well we can stuff it all back down and we can just settle for less or we can become poo bear Christians and we can stuff it with fluff we can just stuff it with all the stuff that 
we try to appease and alleviate our hunger. But it doesn't work. Sure, it doesn't. Or we can be like Bartimaeus and we can just rack up the volume and scream and shriek all the more to get Jesus to stop. Personally, I've been really challenged by God to be real and to get rid of a lot of pretense. And I think what I'm learning is he loves people to be real. He loves people who are not in the business of putting on a good show. And apologies for this example, but I thought I really needed to put an example in. All I could think of at this point was Oak Furniture Land. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know in the ad in the TV and it says, no veneer in here. (laughs) Nobody's seen that? (laughs) Well, that worked really well. Okay. (laughs) No veneer in here. Maybe that was just for me. You know, no veneer. We need to be real. No pretense. No surface gloss. We just need to be as it is. And maybe this would be a really good place to start now. If we have been there before and we have stopped crying out, or maybe we've never really fully trusted that it will be all right to cry out like that to God. Lord, show me how far away my reality is from your vision and make me hungry. That's a really dangerous prayer, I have to tell you, (laughs) to pray. Because God will do what it takes to get us to that place. And he may let us get to the point where we can't stand any longer. And all we can do is fall into his arms of mercy. And choosing to be that sort of a person who will be like Bartimaeus is really, really difficult to keep walking that road. Because we are, in our flesh, we are hot-wired for independence and to stay in control and to have it all together. But God, rather, wants to move us from strength to weakness, from power to powerlessness, from being in control to submission. Oh, don't like that. Being in charge to surrendering, being independent to dependence on on somebody or something else, and ultimately from living in a distant land to moving back in to the home with Father. And it begins with taking an audit. Where am I? And in 2013, God put me into a job in the market house. And he told me he was putting me in there. Uh, from Isaiah 21, verse 8, it says, Stand in the watchtower in the day and be set in your station at night. And that's just what it has felt like being in there. I don't know why I've been in there for two years. It's only now starting to be a proper job. But for two years, I have just sat in the day and in the night and watched. And some of the stuff I have seen that God has brought past my door has broken my heart. And people like Lynn and the others in the edge will know all about it already. Alcoholism to an awful extent in Balnehenge. Mental health illness. Immorality, poverty, neglect, loneliness, and of course, suicide. And he's showing us what strongholds of the enemy are in our time and in our community. 
And, you know, we have problems in Ballinahinch now that no programme, no amount of time or love or compassion are going to fix. We have got stuff out there that we are not enough and we don't have what it takes and we can't get to everybody. We are helpless and hopeless, but God, but for God. Because there's spiritual roots to the problems in our community that we cannot deal with. Only God can. So then in October 2004, I got a chance to spend a week with George Otis, who is a researcher and who runs um, a lot of, he, he makes a lot of those DVDs, the transformation videos. Um, if you've ever got to see any of those from around the, the world. And basically, he just goes to where God shows up in the world. What a job. And he records what he sees. And he seeks to make sense of what was it that brought God near and made him stop there. And then transfers those principles and it gets other people to do the same thing. And I heard this really humble man talk about memories that he actually knew. They were real memories of his now of walking in the midst of a visitation of God, how it felt, what it sounded like, what he saw God do. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't have any memories like that to that extent. I have seen God do amazing things, but I have no memories of that. God actually changing the very ecology of the land in such a powerful encounter with his presence. And something changed in me then, coming from that place of desperate, hopeless hunger. God, our town is going to hell. And then seeing the present opportunity that God is still doing this in our day that he did in the Hebrides and he did in Wales and he did all, all those years ago. He's still doing it. So why not here? So a desperate hunger of helpless and hopelessness mixed with a present opportunity of an assurance that God is still doing this in our day. That's an explosive mix, isn't it? And I want to finish. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm way over time. Uh, well, just I would love to share a wee DVD, but I'm not going to because it takes about five minutes. It's really uh, a little clip of, of what happened in Fiji. But it really was, if you get your hands on some of these DVDs, watch them. But if you click on there... Oh, right then, sorry, just go back one, I'll just leave that. I want to finish just with a wee story about how Lily uh, got me into this passage. And it was, uh, one day I was up with her in the, in the nursing home, and I was reading this passage, and I was trying to make it come alive. I was trying to just have fun with uh, reading it with her. And I said something like, you know, imagine what it was like, Lily, to be there and to see Jesus come past, and uh, what do you think you know, what's happening and all the rest of it. And we were just getting into it a wee bit. And then um, I said, we got to the bit where I said, um, and Lily, Jesus stopped. And I said to her, what do you think Jesus 
did then, Lily. And she said, well, Jesus would have gone over to the blind man. And I said, well, actually, that's not what happened, Lily. Um, Jesus told the people to bring Bartimaeus to him. And Lily says, well, that wasn't very nice of him, was it? <laughs> Isn't she? She's brilliant. She just tells it like it is. That wasn't very nice of Jesus. And I sort of started thinking about it. And when I went back, I heard God just say, just, just go back again and just look at this again. I want you to see something. And I went back home and I started looking at the passage and I thought, you know, that is true. I've never really seen that before. You see, Lily was disappointed that Jesus didn't make more of an effort to go to where Bartimaeus was. And as I reread that through her eyes, I realized that's what I expect of Jesus as well. You see, he could easily have done that that day to get to where Bartimaeus was. He could easily have parted the garden. He parted the Red Sea. He could easily have done that. But why? Why did he do it the other way? What was the point he was making? What was it, why was it needful for him to do it that way? And I believe what God said, well, as I was reading it, he said that Jesus had a greater miracle of healing to be fulfilled that day than just Bartimaeus' eyes. And watch what he does there. Luke tells us that there was a crowd walking along with Jesus. They were in front of Jesus, actually. They'd got out in front of Jesus. But here's a community of people and they had their focus on wrong priorities, I believe. See, they oppressed those who were in need. They silenced those who cried out. They undervalued those who couldn't give, but it could only take. They reproved individuals who were not speaking in a collective voice. And here was a community who was hanging around Jesus, but who were about to learn Jesus' priorities. And in an act of awesome grace, Jesus gave a heavenly commission to the very people that were blocking what Jesus was planning to do that day. He commanded them to be the very means by which Bartimaeus received his transformation. Let me read that again. In an act of awesome grace, he gave a heavenly commission to the very people who were blocking what Jesus was planning to do. And he commanded them to be the means by which Bartimaeus got his encounter. Do we really get that? Jesus wasn't prepared to let those people either remain a block, neither to miss their opportunity to be part of a transformational encounter in their, in their community. See, I believe Jesus actively chose those who, who opposed Bartimaeus to be the ones to help him. I just love that about Jesus. What a picture of awesome patience and grace. But I wonder what Bartimaeus felt when he heard Jesus say that, when he heard Jesus command them to bring Bartimaeus to him. Personally, I'd be like, I'm not going to trust them. <laughs> Jesus, you come here to me. Don't ask me to go with them. I don't really trust them very much. But what did Bartimaeus do? He gave himself into their hands and he trusted Jesus to use them. 
I just love Bartimaeus. I love him. I've spent a bit of time with him, and I've just got to really love this man. See, Jesus has a strategy and a plan for Balna Hinch and Spa. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants to do. And he knows how to transform the blocks and makes them, make them the conveyor belts to get this community to Jesus? Are we waiting and listening and asking for his strategy? Are we doing what he tells us to do, each one of us? Are we in with his plan? Will we continue to cry out for mercy? Because without God, without God, we won't see this community transformed. We will see our neighbors go to hell. And what is the point where we get to when we just can't stand to see that any, anymore? Just let's pray, please. Father, we thank you so much for your awesome mercy and grace that you have chosen us to be your children, to be recipients of your great mercy. And Lord, we need a transformational encounter with you today personally for ourselves and for our community. We do cry out to you again. Lord, have mercy. Come near. Draw near. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Thank you.